This podcast is recorded in front of a live studio audience at Legend Comics in Omaha, Nebraska. I'm Eric Powell, creator of The Goon, and you're listening to Two-Headed Nerds, Joe and Matt. Comic book, funny cast. (laughs) (laughs) I'll just tell everybody you were drunk. (laughs) Welcome to episode 64, where we're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, April 25th, and reading your tweets while we do it. So don't forget to tweet us at Two-Headed Nerd on the Twitter you could be internet famous. My name is Matt Bomb, and when I'm not sad to report that neither the boyishly handsome actor and star of NBC's Parenthood, Peter Krause, nor the nerdishly handsome artist of Irredeemable Peter Krause, who I also like to call Peter Krause, <laughs> are following me on Twitter, even though I have reached out to both of them for different reasons on this show. I'm writing about and appraising comics for Woodpoint.com. And I'm Joe Patrick, artist and co-creator of Good Plus Online, and when I'm not getting nervous for my bachelor party and nerd bar mitzvah, because it'll involve two things I've never seen, <laughs> RoboCop and a stranger's boobs? That's right. No. Yes. So technically, I'm neither a real nerd nor a man yet. Not yet. I'm the manager of Legend Comics in Omaha, Nebraska. This week, you'll hear reviews of Mass Effect, Homelands, and Daredevil. Number 11, after that, we'll review 10 comics so fast, time will appear to stand still in the ludicrous speed round, and then we'll pay a visit to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum to discuss the future of next week's comics. And finally, it's an official fifth week. For THN, and that means it's time for another Top 5, so in honor of May Day, also known as International Workers Day, bet you didn't know that, nerds, we're counting down our Top 5 Favorite Communist Heroes, but before we get to all the rage against the American capitalist pig dogs, let's take a minute to understand that if it were necessary to give the briefest possible definition of imperialism, we should have to say that imperialism is the monopoly stage of capitalism. Lenin said that. And then we'll talk about this week's big news. This is brainy stuff, buddy. Get ready. It got deep in here. That's right, buddy. <laughs> well, they did it. Consider this your spoiler warning for what is the worst kept secret in all of comics. Marcus Johnson, the protagonist of Marvel's Battle Scars miniseries, finally stood revealed as the son of Nick Fury. <laughs> Sounds like he's naked. <laughs> and his replacement within the ranks of S.H.I.E.L.D. in the pages of this week's Battle Scars number 6. The end of the issue firmly cements Johnson as the Marvel 616 equivalent of Samuel L. Jackson's film version of the character. Boy, did we need that. Complete with a bald head, eye patch, and stupid-looking goatee. What are the chances? (laughs) With one slight difference, though. This Nick Fury is an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., not the director. In a revelation so ridiculous, it literally caused me to put the book down in anger. (laughs) Marcus Johnson's actual birth name, given to him by his secret agent-in-hiding mother, mind you, is Nick Fury Jr. Oh, God. Really? I didn't read this. Wisely, Fury Sr. had the foresight to get that changed in a jiffy. Now, if that wasn't enough, Marvel added a twist that I legitimately did not see coming. Cheese! Marcus Johnson's confidant throughout the Battle Scars series has been revealed to be the comic version of Agent Phil Coulson. Wow. The character played by Clark Gregg that wow. has served as the link binding together the Marvel Studios movies. Matt, I think I've made my opinion on this bit of corporate manipulation pretty clear. Do you have a fair and balanced counterpoint to offer? This is like a celestial-sized shoehorn. So no, that's what this is. They just so no is what you farted saying. these two characters into continuity for no reason. No one is gonna like this. No one is gonna care about it. And I, you know what? I'm calling my shot. 
well, as I like to do on this show, 12 months from now, these characters are long gone. <sighs> we will never see them again. Well, okay. <laughs> It'll, they're going to try it. Everyone's going to go, come on. And, Tom- and finally, they're going to go, all right, it was a dumb idea. We're sorry. Tom Brevoort did a follow-up interview on Newsarama where he, where he said something to the effect of, well, it doesn't necessarily mean that the original Nick Fury is just going to fade away and die. Oh, there's no way the original Nick Fury fades away. I eh. That's one of my top five favorite guys right Listen, there in the Marvel Universe. Somebody on uh, a comment thread pointed it out, and it's really summed up my feelings. I could have been convinced to be interested in Marcus Johnson, son of Nick Fury, but I am absolutely not excited to read about Nick Fury Jr. No, God no. I, I, I don't, don't want it. I don't care at all. They are doing marketing stories, not storytelling, and it. I hate it. I know they're a business, but I hate it. Yeah, it's dumb. It's really dumb. Some sad news this week. Many Texas retailers reported problems with their shipments of this week's books. Orders were greatly reduced or delayed with no indication why or when the books would arrive. Well... It has now come to light that a Diamond Comics distributor's truck was involved in a head-on collision at 3.30 in the morning on April 21st, caused by a car driving the wrong direction down the interstate in Texas. I'm saying drunk. It's not part of the report, but, I mean, come on. 3.30 in the morning, they may have just fallen asleep. Dude, you really got to try to get on the wrong side of the interstate. There's a lot of things that go wrong before you end up on the wrong side of the interstate. Let's not really, like, make (laughs) jokes about it. I'm not necessarily making jokes. I'm just saying. Fortunately, the two drivers of the diamond truck sustained non-life-threatening injuries. Sadly, however, the driver of the car died at the scene. Go figure. And Matt laughed. Diamond had stated that the items delayed due to the tragedy were unfortunately including portions of this year's free comic book day offerings. And they would be reshipped to stores with their May 9th items. Ugh! Free comic book day canceled! That just sucks. Yeah. In their statement issued on Thursday, Diamond said, quote, We would also like to extend our thoughts and prayers to the drivers of the truck as they continue to recover from their injuries and offer our condolences and prayers to the family of the driver of the car involved in the accident. Free comic book day canceled. That just sucks. You're a monster. There's nothing good about this story. I'm sorry. You're a monster. You know what? And nothing against this guy's family or whatever happened, but a lot of things, like I said, a lot of things have to go wrong before you end up going the wrong way on the interstate. It probably helps to be drunk. Wow. Finally, Image Comics has announced that Guarding the Globe, the Invincible spinoff miniseries from Robert Kirkman's Skybound imprint, will be returning as an ongoing series this September. The new ongoing will presumably pick up where the miniseries ended and will be written by THN favorite Phil Hester with art by Young Justice and Wild Guard artist Todd Nock. Whose darkness book we recently slammed. So, well, as listen, you were fair and balanced. They're not all winners. Okay. In their recent press release, Image said, quote, Heroes both familiar and new struggle to protect Earth in Invincible's absence. As the Viltrumite War rages on within the pages of Invincible... The ranks of the Guardians of the Globe are suddenly depleted. The world is in danger, and the team is in search of new blood. Now, I could have sworn that that was the plot of the actual miniseries that already has been published. Yeah, it was. Uh, But I think it's safe to assume that this series will take place alongside the current storyline, Invincible, especially considering that Guardian of the Globe, number one, features the new Invincible prominently on the cover. Black Vincible. Black Vincible. <laughs> Which we're referring to as Black Vincible sure. from this day forward. Uh, now this news comes as Kirkmania I wrote that. Copyright JP. 
2012. You get a nickel every time someone says it, right? This news comes as Kirkmania is reaching a fever pitch. After numerous sellouts and skyrocketing back issue prices, someone is now attempting to sell the original cover art for Walking Dead number 19, the first appearance of Michonne, for a whopping $50,000 online. So stock up on those guarding the globe number ones, I guess. No, that's not how it works, unfortunately. <laughs> The Walking Dead mania is in full effect and totally nuts. I'd be shocked if that cover art sells for $50,000. Guarding the Globe is a fun series. If you read Invincible, it's not quite as hot as Invincible or hey, the other stuff. Until they announced the Guarding the Globe AMC series. Yeah. I, <laughs> three boy, issues in. I want to see who plays the Brit. That's what I, <laughs> <laughs> That would be interesting. Joe you, Harris. You have to go back in time and get that Australian guy from the Energizer commercials. It's the longest lasting battery. <laughs> Oi! You know. <laughs> What's the longest lasting battery you can buy? I'm getting a the big news of this week if you'd like to discuss these stories or anything we missed hit us up on our facebook page where my mark jacko jackson star of the energizer commercials of the 80s fan fiction is hitting a high note this week as he takes on lord humongous from the road warrior in a sexy sexy bicep flex off joe patrick before we move on will you read us a tweet from one of our lovely listeners we got a tweet here from Aaron Myers who wants to know... Who, who never tweets us. Never. I, this is the first. Aaron asks, we know now that every Marvel property could be a movie. What DC or indie title would you want to see made into a movie? Man, as far as DC titles go, outside of Batman, I don't know if I want to see anything else. I'll tell you the truth. They keep screwing stuff up. Green Lantern was so bad, you know? And I watched it again. It's up like... All over HBO Go and stuff right now. It's even worse than I remember. Well, I mean, if we're talking best case scenario, if they're doing like a a Marvel Studios style quality interpretation, like I would really love a Flash movie. I'd love a Flash movie. Yeah, a a big sexy Flash movie would be really cool. I think Invincible could make an awesome movie. Like, And you've got a whole universe to play with. You've got a young character for everyone to relate to. It's like Superboy, basically, with lots of violence, you know? Man, that could be awesome. I've got it. Mouse Guard, the movie, animated by Don Bluth. <laughs> Secret of Nim style, Mouse Guard. Make it happen. I like it. I really like it. Or you could do like the Wes Anderson Fantastic Mr. Fox. It could be Toymation. Oh, it'd be so good. Oh, my God. <laughs> Somebody make this happen and give me credit for it. And I want a back-end production deal. There you go. I want a rear-end production deal on that one. You're going to get rear-ended, all right. <laughs> It's review time again, and that means it's time for DJ and I to de-pants two of this week's new comics to see which one is wearing the cooler underoos. Joey, what did you read this week? Does that wait? Does that mean I won? Or no. the comics are wearing the, the metaphorical? Comics are wearing the metaphorical underoos. We're I going see. to compare them. I see. <laughs> Gross. So, tell us about Mass Effect Homeworld's underoos. <laughs> Mass Effect Homeworld's number one. This is from Dark Horse Comics, written by Mac Walters, with art by Eduardo Francisco. Here's your solicit. Mass Effect 3 lead writer Mac Walters kicks off a new series of single-issue stories featuring heroes and adventures essential to the story of BioWare's latest blockbuster. Each issue will star one of the main characters of Mass Effect 3 in a story written by the BioWare writer who wrote that character in the game, beginning with a Mac Walters pen tale of brash young gun, James Vega. He's the gigantic, huge Latino guy. He's the meathead. Floating around, yeah. Yeah. I, I am pretty obsessed with Mass Effect. 
as we record this, I recently finished Mass Effect 3, and just this week restarted Mass Effect 2. I have not finished Mass Effect 3 yet, but I've heard the end is a kick squarely in the nuts. It depends. <laughs> it depends. I liked it. Okay. I restarted Mass Effect 2 because I can't get enough. I wanted to relive the magic while Skyrim and Batman Arkham City sit longingly beckoning me over in the corner. I picked this up even though it focuses on Freddie Prince Jr., a character I completely ignored while playing the last game. That's racist. It's Freddie Prince Jr. He is he is voiced by Freddie Prince Jr. Is he really? Yes. I did not even notice. I thought you were making Yes, just... Freddie Prince Jr. is James Vega. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. I kind of like Freddie Prince. <laughs> I was pleasantly surprised by the story. Uh, It was written by the game's lead writer, as the solicit said three times. It gave a bit of a sympathetic backstory to a character I previously didn't really care anything about. I literally never took that character with me on any mission. Too much of a meathead, man. I hang with aliens. That's my thing. Yeah, me too. Now, this story flashes back to James's teen years as a young man forced into a shady life by his hippie burnout father, which is good to know they still have hippie burnouts in the future. (laughs) On different planets. Uh, Oh, no, they're on Earth. They're in San Diego. Sorry. I'll get to that, actually. Uh, his, His uncle Emilio, who is his dead mom's brother, is trying to offer James a way out, but his dad is an abusive man and he's got biotic powers, so he keeps his son under his thumb with threats and violence. Uh, the art by Francisco is nice enough, but there isn't anything super remarkable about it. He does do a great job with the backgrounds yeah, and the cons- technology. I had some consistency issues, even with like some of the the character movements and some of the body yeah. work was kind of a little inconsistent. It, like I said, it's it's it did its job mostly, but it wasn't the greatest. Uh, but I did like his backgrounds and technology. He did a good job setting the tone, and it looked and felt like it belonged in the Mass Effect universe it definitely yeah it dovetailed nicely i didn't feel like this was bizarre right uh now unfortunately while the story and art are decent there are several problems with the actual storytelling uh the opening scene occurs in one place it it, it takes place on the citadel which is like the galactic hub and it says that it's taking place right after right after the reaper invasion and I thought, okay, this is taking place after Mass Effect 1. We're going to get to see how James Vega became the man he was after Mass Effect 1. And then there is literally no indicator that yeah. the story shifts in not only time, but space. And puts him in, in San Diego. Er, yes. and the, As a kid. The only sign that something is different is that he doesn't have the tattoos. Yeah, pretty much. Otherwise, you would not even, even the way he's drawn, you would not know this right. is the same character. Well, and I get it. He was younger, but he couldn't have been that much. It's not like he was five. He was like seventeen, going on eighteen, getting ready to sure, join he was a the minor. army. Right. He was a minor. They said that in the story. Um, but yeah, it was just it, it shifted in time and and place, and there is no indication that that has happened. And it took me several pages to realize, oh hey, this is not on the Citadel. This is on Earth. Yeah. Even though Matt's cover says Hell on Earth on it, I had the <laughs> variant cover which doesn't say that. The fact that it shifted from the Citadel to Earth, I had to get that from the text piece in the back of the book where the writer mentions Earth. Wanting to show future Earth. I see. I picked up on it, but it, really poorly. Like, it, well, I went, oh, okay. Because he mentions San Diego, like, in a... Or no, the police are like, San Diego police, freeze, or whatever. Oh, something like that. And I, I was like, that. San Diego. Well, and here I was like, <laughs> oh, there's wet... Like, it was raining, and it got dark. And I was like, oh, it's cool. They have simulated weather on the Citadel. <laughs> I, I was, like, adding to the story to justify it in my brain. So ultimately, I, I enjoyed the book. I want to read more of these stories, not necessarily about Vega, but each issue will be about somebody different. 
Uh, the book, though, did have some storytelling problems, and I find it really hard to recommend to somebody that isn't already a fan yeah. of the Mass Effect games. I gotta give it a skim it. I'm with you there, too. I'm gonna give it a skim it. I really enjoyed Redemption, the first Mass Effect series that I read, anyway, which took place around Mass Effect 2, I believe. Loved that one. It was fantastic. This, maybe the other characters will be a little more interesting. Oh, I yeah. Just, well, the next issue is about Tally, the the girl that walks around in the containment yeah, suit. Yeah, that could be very And then there's cool. a Garrus one who I love Garrus. Oh, I love Garrus, too. So I'm looking forward to reading more, but if you're not a fan of this, you're not going to care. You don't need it. I can only give it a skimming as well. Matt, tell me about Daredevil. Daredevil number 11 from Marvel is part three of the Omega Effect story. Here's your solicitation. The Omega Effect concludes. Daredevil and Spider-Man join Frank Castle in a blitzkrieg takedown of New York crime. But don't take it for granted that these heroes are all working together. That is a terrible solicitation, by the way, Marvel. (laughs) The Omega Effect started in the pages of Avenging Spider-Man number 6. It continued into Punisher 10, and it concludes here in Daredevil 11. Does it? Yep. Okay. Sort of. (laughs) The story centered around a specially designed computer drive that DD has had in his possession for a while now. The drive contains information on mega crime, which, as I understand it, is pretty much all the nefarious organizations in the Marvel Universe. It's it's many of them. I mean, like we know it's most notably AIM, here, Hydra, the Secret Empire. We see uh, AIM, Hydra, Secret French Empire. One I've never heard of the Hand. The drive contains information on all these different organizations. They do not want made public. So Daredevil teamed up with Spidey and the Punisher to take them all down. Which I still don't really understand how that was going to be done. And then they also agreed they would destroy the drive, which is like super high technology, with the help of Reed Richards. But they never even really contacted Reed. (laughs) So there's some things Uh, going on here that I just Mm. didn't, I couldn't fully wrap my head around. And I'll get to that in a minute. I want to talk about the art first. Cheese Cheeto. Marco Cicchetto, who we lovingly refer to as Cheese Cheeto on this show. Lovingly. Takes over the penciling duties here on this issue only. And he does a fantastic job. He has done all three parts of this story. It's true. Unlike his Punisher work, this is a lot more colorful and kinetic. It it wasn't real dark or shaded. This is more like Daredevil as we've seen the book drawn by Paolo Rivera. And uh, Marcos Martin was working on it too. The way he draws Daredevil's billy club, the the line zipping across the panels, right next to Spider-Man's webs, which are also like flying around all over the place, it feels like he's channeling Joe Quesada to me here. This is far and away some of the best art I've seen from Chichetto. Really enjoyed it. And Matt Hollingsworth Colors, who also works with him on The Punisher, are just perfect here. Absolutely gorgeous. They make an exceptional team. Uh, it looks like they really took care to make it not just look like an issue of The Punisher. No, they're you know, they staying, knew they were drawing a different book. Very much staying with the tone of Daredevil as we've seen it. So, let's get to the story. We see Daredevil retracing the steps of Cole, who is The Punisher's female ally. And in the last issue, this isn't necessarily a spoiler, as I said, something really weird happened. And I wasn't sure what took place, but Daredevil fell off of... The perch he was on while he was yelling at all the <laughs> members of Megacrime. It turns out Cole shot him in the back with a rubber bullet. But there was, I think they forgot to put like a blam or something. No, in they there. drew the sound effect, but there was no like muzzle flash. See, did they? Cause yeah. I, man, not, I didn't not get it. I don't remember all. it. Regardless, she snatches the drive for herself, disappears. So we see Daredevil retracing Cole's steps with Tachetto and Hollingsworth using the same vector graphic radar sense that Paolo Rivera had been using in the book. It's a very cool way to illustrate how Daredevil sees the world. Everything's broken down into horizontal and vertical lines. I love it. When he finally catches up to her using a trap that he had planned, knowing that she had been listening in on their conversations, 
through a little microphone system she hooked up and he heard humming with his super hearing he has this really great dialogue scene where he sort of sees someone on the verge of becoming Frank Castle she's been working with the Punisher in the pages of his own book but he tries to do for her what he could never do for Frank and the Punisher and Daredevil have a long history together of the Dare- of Daredevil basically saying you know you're wrong and there- there's still hope for you Frank and Frank's like there's no hope for me man you know you don't get it <laughs> so he has this wonderful really nicely written dialogue scene with Cole where he's saying look you have not slipped over the edge yet. I know you've done some objectionable things, and I understand why you did it. Here's what you need to understand. Your little origin story here about your husband getting killed happens to a lot of us. Mm-hmm. And he has a line where he says, you cannot throw a stick in Avengers Mansion without hitting someone who's lost someone close to you. He also points out that it's a total fallacy that that loss has to be what drives right. somebody because there are a, a thousand cops out there and firemen that right. are doing it altruistically not because for no reason not, not because for they, revenge they or lost a loved yeah. one or anything just doing the job and that and her seeking revenge in this way totally cheapens that cheapens yeah. what all of them do and it's just a wonderful spiel shortly after that i'm not going to bust into what happens but this had a really unsatisfactory ending and think, i'm just going to go ahead and lay it out because I think it's safe to say that the story doesn't end it doesn't there's no spoiler here because we end up in the same place that we were. Right. Daredevil has the drive. They're not going to destroy it. He's going to hold on to it for a little longer. Punisher goes his way. Spider-Man goes his way. And he's like, hey, what are we going to do with that? And Daredevil literally looks at him. And he's like, we'll have a drink and talk about it sometime. The end. Really yeah. unsatisfactory ending to what was a fun story. But they never really developed what was going to happen. Like I said... There was talk of taking the drive to Reed Richards to have him analyze it or whatever, or maybe destroy it. Spider-Man built this thing to destroy it, which was really I, highly technological. I think that the plan was to destroy it in front of all of those. How does that take down Mega Crime? It doesn't. I don't think it was the goal was to take him down. It was to get them off of Daredevil's back. They knew he had this thing, See, but the, and they were going to keep coming after him until the end of time, until they got it. And I got that. But and he, the only way to combat that was to get in all of their faces and say look melt it's gone and why do they believe him i mean that it's just kind of a loose idea and it wasn't really fleshed out and all in all i can only give this entire thing i'm not just saying daredevil 11 i'm saying the whole storyline the omega effect Mm -hmm. i can only give this a skim it great art great effort by chichetto not a bad idea a fun team up some really good dialogue especially from spider-man yeah everybody did a fantastic job on him but i can only give this a skin it's a shame because the avenging spider-man and punisher chapters were both really fun really strong and i would have laughed in your face had you told me that this was going to be as lackluster as it was that the daredevil one would be the weakest link the elements are all good you know the usual stuff the the art the dialogue you know all of that stuff is there all of the components that make daredevil great are there oh yeah but this particular storyline it's like it didn't even happen it feels like and, and you know what it, feels it was like a to waste me? of time it feels like to me they rushed it like originally it was going to be four issues and then they decided it was three you know, and they just went, okay, we got to tie it up. Now, I'm not saying that's true, but it sure read like that because nothing happened. It just stopped. Yeah, I have to give it a skim as well. It it literally pains me to do so, but this this whole storyline was a wasted effort. You could have completely skipped yeah. 
these three installments and gone straight to Daredevil twelve. Sure, absolutely. You really don't need to read this. There's even there's even a, a little uh, preview in on the letters page that shows the cover of Daredevil number thirteen. Omega Drive front and center. Yeah. So the story is going to continue as though this thing never happened. So that is a double skimmit for Mass Effect Homeworlds number one and a double skimmit for Daredevil 11 and the entire Omega Effect storyline. Uncharacteristically apathetic from two. Yeah, right? As always, we want to know what you angry internet trolls thought of these comics, so let us know how just plain wrong our reviews were over at our Facebook page. And remember to cuss a lot. It's time once again for DJ and I to drop our pants and activate our Wonder Twin powers as I take the form of Evil Knievel's motorcycle and Joe takes the form of the chunky drunk corpse of Evil Knievel as we attempt to leap over the Hall of Justice while reviewing 10 comics in midair during the Ludicrous Speed Round. Ludicrous Speed, go! The Goon 39 from Dark Horse. The Goon is a book that I can pick up like once a year and fall right back into it. This issue was like a scathing parody of Marvel and DC and their weird constant reboots and crossovers and nonsense. Uh, I love it. Eric Powell's great. I love him or hate him. He's got a unique voice. I'm giving this book a buy it. There's a scathing editorial in the back on it, too. It's true. And it's true. really well written. He's he does a not smart pull guy. He knows how to talk about comics. Yep. Merciless, The Rise of Ming, number one from Dynamite. This was friggin' great, man. Scott Beatty wrote it. Ron Adrian, who I've never heard of, drew and painted the hell out of this one. It was a gorgeous look at young Ming the Merciless when he was just Sinestro. Because you got pointy ears and everything. <laughs> but if you're enjoying the Dynamite Flash Gordon stuff, this is a great read. I'm saying buy it, man. Star Wars, Blood Ties, Boba Fett is Dead, number one from Dark Horse. I was real long title. It is. I was really excited for this book. Uh, I'm just kind of dipping my toe into Star Wars comics. It sounded like a really fun premise with uh, Boba Fett being dead and people coming out of the woodwork to get revenge or take credit for it or whatever. I have to say this was just mediocre. Yeah, not a lot here for um, me either. I really didn't like the art. I-, I thought it was stiff. I don't know. I'm giving it a... Yeah. Go ahead. Do it. Do it. Leave it. Oh. Leave it. Oh. AVX versus number one, Marvel. Okay. Terrible title, AVX. Tells you nothing about the book. But guess what? This was so much fun. I loved it. This was a ton of fun. There's no story. It's just two fights that are taken directly out of Avengers versus X-Men number one. We get to see the Thing versus Submariner and... Magneto versus Iron Man. Magneto versus Iron Man in battle. And it was just great. Packed full of these little, like... Secret Marvel facts and stuff. Oh, I know. It was so... It was wonderful. It was so much fun. Buy the hell out of this whole series. It's going to be a blast. FF17. Spider-Man and the Human Torch are now roommates. And as you can imagine, that is not working out really great for (laughs) Spider-Man. There are portals to the negative zone in the closet. Johnny (laughs) Serum's eating all of his cereal. Non-stop parties. I'm pretty sure Johnny is f***ing Mary Jane. (laughs) What? I don't know. I, it, this book was so funny. I'm giving it a huge buy it. Jonathan Hickman, thumbs up, buddy. Rich Johnston's Captain American Idol number one from Boom Studios. Uh, much like the Rich Johnston book Iron Muslim we talked about last week, this was more poorly executed jokes. Uh, David Hasselhoff pops up in it. I mean, they make fun of cheese from Battle Scars and stuff. I mean, like just really reaching here and they just kind of pound the American Idol theme into it too much it's not even bad enough to be called terrible it's just mediocre leave it 
Uncanny X-Men 11 from Marvel Comics. I haven't read an issue of Uncanny X-Men since issue number three because it is not nearly as good as Wolverine and the X-Men. The Mr. Sinister storyline in the first one, when you read it together, was really good. Nah, I like nah, it. Nah. Uh, but this is an AVX tie-in. It's Red Hulk versus Juggernaut Colossus. Woo! Juggernaut Colossus is freaking scary, and I really liked it. Greg Land was not terrible. Hey. I'm giving it a buy it. Popeye number one from IDW. I grew up watching Popeye cartoons. I'm not as old as you think I am, but they used to be on TV yes. a lot, and I loved them. Absolutely adore the old Popeye cartoons. I went back and read a bunch of the old strips from that big Popeye hardcover IDW came out with. Loved those two. If you enjoy that, you will love this book. It is perfectly in the spirit of Popeye. Wonderfully executed by I'm Roger giving Langridge. this a huge buy it. Excellent job, Roger. Wolverine, number 305 from Marvel. Uh, this is Cullen Bunn's first issue, uh, picking up after Jason Aaron's run on the book. It is the return of Dr. Rot, the uh, oh, really God. terrible the, the psychiatrist guy. guy. Yeah. This book was great. Uh, Paul Pelletier sure, uh, is on the art, and I love that guy so much. I wish he did more work. I, yeah, I, he was he's very good. Super talented guy. I'm, I'm glad to be back on Wolverine. I'm giving it a buy it. Captain America and Hawkeye, number 629. This was Cap and Bucky, but it just switched to its new format with Cap and Hawkeye. Cullen Bunn is also writing this one. Big week for that guy. Yeah, he's having a huge week. And it was fun, and it was fine, and the art was pretty good, but I can't say it was great. It didn't thrill me. It just seems like there's a lot going on in the Marvel Universe right now that they could play onto that Cap and Hawkeye would be doing together to see them a little more personal, rather than sending them into the mountains to fight some weird dinosaur thing. I can only give it a skim it. Yeah, I mean, best I can say about it is that it was adequate. Douche! Yeah, is your ludicrous speed round, and douche is the sound it makes when the newly rebooted Eskimo, bitten by a radioactive narwhal goon, punches a bad guy while wearing his mystic gauntlets and codpiece of power. <laughs> well done, Eric Powell, sir. Well done. Now, join us in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we'll be astrally projecting ourselves to the base of Wondagore Mountain to join the Knights of Wondagore in their ancient Walpurgisnacht celebration. Where bonfires will chase away the cold winter's night as we wrap the maypole and drink deep the milk of Bova the Cowwoman, which will reveal the secrets of next week's comics, Matt. What has the breast milk of Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch's nanny revealed to you? And yes, nerds, I realize that we're in our astral form, okay? But this is the magic milk Listen. of Bova. So, literally, suck it. Next <laughs> week, I'm excited for Exile Number 1 from Marvel. Written by Kieran Gillen with art by Carmine Gian Domenico. This is a crossover between Gillen's journey into mystery and the new mutants, which sees a whole bunch of Asgardians in San Francisco, I think. <laughs> and it's gonna be fun, man. Why not? If you're not reading Journey into Mystery, you are missing out. That book is excellent. DJ, what are you reading next week? My pick of the week is Earth 2, 
number one from DC Comics by James Robinson it better and be Paula great. Scott. This better be great. I don't know. I'm, I am kind of torn about the new 52 version of Earth 2 and the JSA, but I need them. I need them back, and James Robinson is a writer I trust. I'm really looking forward to seeing what Robinson and Scott have to offer that's a little bit different than what came before. Especially now that Power Girl doesn't have any cleavage anymore. Thanks a lot, jerks. I don't read comics for the cleavage, Matt. I do. I have a fiancé. Solely for the cleavage. And I'm a married man. (laughs) Of course we'd like to know what you nerds are reading next week. So pop by the Sanctum Sanctorum or hit us up on our Facebook page and let us know. We'll save a glass of weird cow woman breast milk just for you. So she's a female cow, but she also has horns. Cow woman with horns. Weird, right? That's pretty weird. Weird. I hope it's milk. I'm no dairy farmer, but I think I know what that means. Well, that was disgusting. Joe Patrick, we're really pushing the boundaries of this clean podcast thing. (laughs) Oh, Listen, Brett Merriman, I am really sorry, because I know you listen to this show with your children. I apologize to your 10-year-old. Read us a tweet. All right, Brian wants to know, what ultimate title do we think is needed in the Ultimate Universe? That's a good question, Brian. The Ultimate Universe is really kind of difficult to care about these days. kind of floundering, right? And other than Ultimate Spider-Man... I am not really connected to what all's going on. I would welcome, though, a new edition, because I'm kind of sick about reading about the Ultimates. What if Ultimate Galactus came and ate Ultimate Earth and it went away altogether? Yeah, but Ultimate Galactus is a swarm of bugs, so what fun would that be? True that, I guess. I don't know. i tell you what I would like. I would like a book about the Ultimate version of Nova, which is Rick Jones... In the Ultimate Continuity, who was the neighbor of Spider-Man or something nonsensical yeah, like something that? Yeah, something weird like that. Uh, he was in the Ultimate Doom trilogy, and I think a an Ultimate Cosmic book would be great, because then we could get takes on like Ultimate Quasar and sure. Ultimate Fire Lord. Sure. I would love it. Or, you know, you could just do that in the regular Marvel Universe where it was great and none of you jerks read it. <sighs> Thanks let's, a lot. Let's move on, because now I'm depressed. <laughs> It doesn't happen very often, but when we do have a fifth week, just like Marvel and DC, we like to have a fifth week event, the THN Top 5 Countdown. This time, in honor of National Workers' Day, we're counting down our Top 5 Super Soviets. So I'll start with my number five, and we'll bounce back and forward and discuss a little bit here. Sure, sure. I'm going to go with the Crimson Dynamo. Anton Vanko. He was a Soviet scientist of Armenian birth with a PhD in physics. Vanko was the world's foremost expert on electricity. So hold on. He was a physicist and also an expert on electricity? Yeah. No, I mean like physics and electricity. You know, I mean, there's quite a bit involved there. I don't think <laughs> physicists study electricity. Sure they do. Thermodynamics and everything. It's, it's all electricity, baby. Uh, Regardless, he became the Soviet Union's Iron Man in a big red suit. And we saw him tangle with Iron Man several times. Loved him. Big hulking iron suit. Very cool. <laughs> Joe, who's your number five? My number five is Superman Red Sun. That's a great pick. Yeah, man. I didn't even, that one didn't even occur to me, but that's a great pick, man. I, I understand it might be kind of a cheat, but hey, Superman Red Sun was raised in Russia. There was like a comrade Batman, too. Yeah, he was like a Cossack. He wore a fuzzy hat. He was awesome. Uh, I just, I loved that take on the character, and it showed that uh, even though he was a part of the Red Menace, he was still a good guy. My number four is Rocket Red number four. After Rocket Red number seven ended up 
being a traitorous manhunter pig dog, Dmitry Pushkin stepped up to take his place in the Justice League International. Pushkin served with various branches of the League for many years before valiantly giving his life to save his friends in the pages of the Olmac Project. I loved him because his armor was so dumb. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> it was this big, dumb Russian armor. It looked like the worst version of Iron Man. <laughs> it really did. It really did. Like if Iron Man was a micronaut. It was yeah, really bad. I love the Rocket Raccoon. Joe, what's your number four? My number four is The Russian from Garth Ennis' Punisher. Man, I forgot about him, too. Uh, uh, I, am, I am huge fan of Spider-Man. He was an unkillable <laughs> hitman hired by Ma Nucci to kill the Punisher in the pages of Welcome Back, Frank. Literally, he would not fall. He's not a metahuman either. He's just that tough. He, he was swinging toilets around. He ended up getting surgically attached to a woman's body. Yeah, it was a or the thing. hormones gave him boobs, one of the two. Yeah, I think it was the hormones. And, but uh, the Russian. And he's like so joyful the whole time he's pounding the Punisher's face in. Well, he got to meet it. Spider-Man, which was yeah. his dream. Wow, wonderful. Tell me your number three. My number three is Vanguard from the Soviet Super Soldiers. It is no secret that I'm a gigantic fan of the Soviet Super Soldiers. Vanguard carried a hammer and a sickle. And when he put them together just the other day, Joe Patrick was like, I dare you to tell me his powers. I said, he repels kinetic force when he puts his hammer and sickle together. And that's pretty much it. <laughs> but total badass. Like, if Colossus comes up and punches his hammer and sickle for, you know, whatever reason, <laughs> he can redirect all that force. I've, we've seen him stop trains and stuff. He's fought the Hulk. He's a total badass. I love him. He's it. got a terrible costume. Terrible costume. I still love him. Joe Patrick, what's your number three? This is an easy one, but, I mean, you got to give props to the Black Widow, Natasha Romanoff. Or Natalia Romanova, or whatever the yeah, heck we're calling you know. her these days. Um, Marvel's preeminent femme fatale super spy. I think it's femme fatal. Femme fatal. <laughs> I just love this character. Uh, she is a recipient of some sort of derivation of the Infinity Formula, so she's super long lived. She's got this nice new backstory with uh, Bucky, the Winter Soldier. I find it really compelling. They were both I... trained in the Red Room. Yeah, man. Uh, but yeah, Black Widow, she's awesome. Matt. My number two, which was almost my number one, but and I really fought over this. I got to go with Comrade Colossus, man. Your favorite living <laughs> organic steel X-Man. He's Colossus, and I totally have always loved him. And they've sort of shied away a little bit from writing him so Russian that it's ridiculous. They used to write him like they used to write Rogue and uh, Banshee. Yeah. <laughs> with super weird. And Bronson Pinchot from... <laughs> From, uh, <laughs> from Perfect Strangers. From Perfect Strangers. Uh, <laughs> Cousin Larry, I love this country. Tovarish. 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 Yeah, or whatever the hell it is. Joe, what's your number two? My number two, Matt's kicking himself for not picking him, Winter from Stormwatch. Yeah, man. I can't believe I forgot. The storyline Warren Ellis wrote where it was like, the Stormwatch aliens crossover and Winter. Stop. No, 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 stop. Winter was Nicholas Kamarov, the tough as nails field leader of Warren Ellis's Stormwatch. Yeah, Spetsnaz, badass. He absorbed energy and turned it into like strength or something. Cold. Oh, was it he cold? Had cold powers. No, yeah, cool. he absorbed energy and you fired. Mo- most of the time, you just see him fighting with his fists. So. Right. He's a badass, but uh, but Winter is such a badass. He sacrificed himself to save the Earth from a horde of xenomorphs. Literally. Ridley Scott's alien yes. xenomorphs. In Wildcat Stormwatch Alien. Yes. By p- 
piloting the Stormwatch satellite into the freaking sun. And it was awesome. Ah, That's a great story. And I, I don't it. think it's reprinted anywhere. It was. It was finally reprinted was in, in the last Warren Ellis Stormwatch trade. Really final, good Warren Ellis stuff. Final Orbit uh, takes place right before the Authority. Fair enough. Okay, Joe, what's your number one? Listen, we've I, already discussed it a little bit. My number one is Colossus because Saw how can he not be a mile away? One? Listen, he's the best Russian. I'm sorry. Oh no, no. I mean, yeah, I, I give you like arguably the most famous Russian yes. character out there. Not my favorite. Now, Matt does make a case for his number one. Matt, tell us a little bit about him. My favorite Russian superhero, Ursa Major, from also a Soviet super soldier. The guy turns into a super strong bear. That's his power. He's strong like bear. <laughs> he's, strong, he's not just strong like bear. He's Hulk strong like bear. We've seen him go toe-to-toe with the Incredible Hulk. He is strongest Soviet there is. <laughs> it's true. Now, let's talk a little bit about who didn't make the cut. There were some that we argued about that did not make the list. First on the list, the Winter Soldier. Yes. Not a Russian. Is not a Russian. Not he a Russian. He was a tool of the Russians. Used by the Russians as an agent. Bucky. He himself is a blonde-haired, blue-eyed American boy. Brown-haired, <laughs> brown-eyed American <laughs> Regardless, boy. Regardless, he's not a Russian. <laughs> Also, not on the list, who didn't make the cut, Ileana Rasputin. Ileana Rasputin, uh, Colossus' sister, who never really identified as Russian. They never wrote her that way. She grew up in America. She just sounded like a normal little kid. Yeah. You know, and, and other than him re- like referring to her as my perfect little flower. Snowflake. Also. Yeah, and Snowflake, which is really kind of creepy after a while. <laughs> uh, also on this list, Whiplash. And we had to think about this one a little bit because... You may recall in the Iron Man movie, Whiplash, very much Russian, and the character's name, Anton Vankov. Yeah, or something very close. He was, who was the original Crimson Dynamo. That's right. When Matt mentioned his number five, I went, wait a minute, isn't that Whiplash from Iron Man 2? And that is not no Marvel's Whiplash. Whiplash from Iron Man 2 was a Crimson Dynamo Whiplash mashup. Yeah. Weird, huh? Which, I mean, why not just make him a Crimson Dynamo? I know. And put him in armor. Because they ended up putting him in armor anyway. Yeah. The number one name that did not make the list, mainly because his name is so ridiculous. It's the dumbest. The KGBs. I love the KGBs, though. He's, like, right there in the number six. Close number six for me. In fact, maybe butting out the Crimson Dynamo, almost. I love him. I, to me, I view KG Beast as, like, the pre-Nightfall Bane. Sort of, yeah. He was, like, Bane before there was Bane. Yeah, he was, like, badass Soviet dude. Oh, yeah. He My was- favorite KGB storyline was right after the earthquake that devastated Gotham City when Batman went to go get the KG Beast to run the prison where oh. he was going to round up everybody and hold him. He was just like, you're in charge, buddy. <laughs> like, it was awesome. So that is our top five super Soviet countdown in honor of International Workers Day and May Day. Of course, we're good American boys and we love freedom and capitalism. But hey, we got to celebrate here and we're including everyone. We want to know who your top five super Soviets are and we want your suggestions for our next top five. So drop us a line at our email to gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter. That is it for the Two-Headed Nerd May Day Pagan and Socialist Celebration. If you would like to become a comrade in arms in support of the glorious Two-Headed Revolution, be sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes and please leave us a star rating or a short written review to help us to bust into the iTunes top... Into the iTunes top 10 is my only goal this year. 
Wow. We can make this happen. Setting the bar. We can do this, nerds. Ridiculously low. Huge thanks to all of our donors. And if you'd like to keep us in vodka and borscht, you can make your donation in any amount by clicking our donate button at TwoHeadedNerd.com. While you're there, you can find links to our Twitter feed and our email, TwoHeadedNerd at gmail.com, where you can beg for reading suggestions from the comic pushers. You can also challenge comic grand poobah Joe Patrick in the ultimate comic trivia question a little segment we like to call ask a nerd which will return next week we haven't had a good trivia shot for quite a while it's true bring it nerds i demand it also keep your thn mascot art coming we need more it's slowed way down guys come on we don't care how talented you are draw us a picture what does a two-headed nerd look like if that's not enough for you head on over to our facebook page where you can become a fan of thn and answer the question of the week but before we get to the question of the week we'll read our last tweet from bavarian aaron Will you please talk about Free Comic Book Day and some of the better books to look out for? Her pick is Jacob Chabot's Voltron. Oh, nice pick. Uh, Every time I read the word Jacob Chabot, I think of Michael Chabon, author of Cavalier Clay. I think of Chobit. (laughs) Yeah, that too. That's where I go. I don't know why. Uh, I've never even seen Chobit. For me, my number one book to look out for is uh, The Mouse Guard, the Archaea hardcover. A free hardcover. I can't believe, yeah, Archaea wins free comic book day. I know. That is awesome. Bananas. Other books of note, The Hypernaturals from Boom Studios. That is the Abnet and Landing cosmic book. Very cool. Uh, The Valiant Preview, which I am super excited for. Yeah, man. This is the first year that I'm not most excited for the mainstream Marvel DC. Uh, Marvels is just a reprint. Yeah. So nothing new there. Who cares? Those are there are some really great books out there. Atomic Robo, Ooh. always fun on Halloween Day. So be sure you come out on May fifth. And this week's question, as we said, next week is Free Comic Book Day. What Free Comic Book Day offering are you most looking forward to? Let us know. And before we go, our weekly shout out goes to Billy Bragg, our favorite outspoken folk singer and friend of the working man. Word to you, Billy. THN raises our fists and shouts, No rights without duties to you, brother. Until next time, true believers, this is the two headed nerd. Signing off. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't know anything about being communist. Or socialist, you know, I mean, whatever. Either or, you know, I mean, come on. guys as you may have seen on our facebook page our generous employers at legend comics are holding a fundraiser for the nebraska chapter of the make-a-wish foundation starting now until free comic book day on saturday may 5th we are selling door prize tickets for five dollars each with the grand prize being a genuine copy of amazing fantasy 15 the first appearance of spider-man valued at five thousand dollars there are also several local prizes for you local listeners but you uh, international listeners or out-of-state listeners... International Playboy listeners... ...should feel free to donate because anyone is eligible to win. If you go to legendcomicsomaha.com, you can see all of the details and click our donate button there and give to this great cause. Every $5 increment you give gets you one entry into the drawing. So give till it hurts, people!